0: Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Friday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. Boy, what a week it has been. We have been really busy here at Logos Bible Study with launching the new reimagined website. Subscribers are rolling in and we're getting lots of good comments. Please do have a look at the site and let me know what you think. Email me at info at and I will email you right back. We appreciate your feedback and appreciate your presence here with us all together around the Word of God. And speaking of the Word of God, let's drop in where we left off on Wednesday. So Paul left Ephesus, met with the leaders at Ephesus, and said they would never he would never see them again. They would never see his face again. So now, in Acts 21, after we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. From there we found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board. So Paul is in transit on the way back to Jerusalem. He's leaving just south of Ephesus and around the southern coast he go, the southern coast of Turkey, hop, skipping, and jumping all along the way to ultimately Caesarea Maritima, the artificial deep water port on the west coast of what is Israel today, just a little bit, about an hour's drive north of Tel Aviv today, right on the Mediterranean. So that's where they're going. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia. We went on board, set sail. After sighting Cyprus, the island of Cyprus, And passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria, and we landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. Finding the disciples there, we stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. You know, Paul has this uneasy feeling about Jerusalem, that he's going to die there. And apparently, the people in Tyre felt the same way. They urged him not to go. But when our time was up, we left and continued on our way. All the disciples and their wives and children accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre and we landed at Ptolemaeus, where we were greeted by the brothers, stayed there for a day, Leaving the next day, so again, they are hop, skipping, jumping down the coast. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea Maritima. And stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist. We haven't heard from Philip in a long while. Philip, one of the original seven deacons chosen by the early church to take care of the needs of the people. Remember Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? Where did Philip go after that? Well, we don't really know, but he ended up in Caesarea Maritima. And get this, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So Philip fell in love, got married, had four daughters who prophesied. That is, they were four young women who were preachers. Well, I'll be darned. I never would have known that. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says in this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Another bad omen about Jerusalem. Something really bad is going to happen to Paul in Jerusalem. Well, when we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. And Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. You know, I wonder if Paul really wanted to die at this point. Maybe he felt that after all that missionary work, after everyone in Asia Minor having heard the word of God, that uh, his work was over. True, he planned to visit Rome, but Rome's a long way off. And maybe Paul, after the book burning and the riot, and maybe he's just tired. I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, Well, the Lord's will be done. Never saw such a stubborn man. Huh. After this, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Nason, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus. And one of the early disciples. Do we know anyone else from Cyprus? Yes, Barnabas. Remember the falling out Paul and Barnabas had prior to the second missionary journey? Well, now he's staying with another man from Cyprus in Jerusalem, Manasin. When we arrived in Jerusalem, the brothers there received us warmly. And the next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James and all the elders were present. That's James. James, the brother of the Lord. Recall him from the gospel according to Matthew. James, Joseph, Simon, Jude, and the sisters. And we went over that before. No, no mystery here. There are only three possibilities. James, the brother of the Lord, and the others were either the children of Joseph and Mary after Jesus was born, which is what most Protestants would say, or the extended family, the cousins, if you will, in the larger family of Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, as Roman Catholics would tend to say, or as the Orthodox would say, Joseph was a widower who married Mary, and these were his children by his deceased wife. There are your only three options, friends. So you have to come down on one of those three. Personally, I'm very comfortable with the Roman Catholic point of view, given that that's my home church. So James is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And they all went to see him, and the elders were present. Now Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. So Paul filed his report. He told everything that had happened. And when they heard this, they praised God. And then they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them were zealous for the law. They've been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. You know, they're saying that you are a huge troublemaker, Paul. So what shall we do? They'll certainly hear that you've come, so do what we tell you. You had... Ominous feelings about this visit to Jerusalem, Paul, and and this is why. Now, there are four men with us who have made a vow, a Nazarite vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so they can have their head shaved, hair cut off. Remember Nazarite vow, Numbers chapter 6? Anyone can take a Nazarite vow, a vow of separation to God. And during the time of that separation, you don't cut your hair, you don't shave, and when your vow is over, you cut the hair that grew during the period of the vow, and that, along with other offerings, are offered to God as a sign or a symbol of the time you spent with him. Paul took his Nazarite vow, I believe, in Corinth. He was afraid, and the Lord said to him, Keep on teaching. Keep on with your work. I will protect you. And I think at that time, Paul took that Nazarite vow. But he's not yet been back to Jerusalem to make the sacrifices. So, Paul is going to end officially his Nazarite vow with these sacrifices, and there are four other men who have taken vows too, and they'll all do this together at the temple. Everybody will then know there's no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, We've written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood and the meat of strangled animals and sexual immorality. Exactly what they decided in A.D. 50 at the council at Jerusalem. So the next day, Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. And then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. So when the seven days were over, they make the appointment at the temple. Everything's arranged. And when the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. Now I wonder if these were some of the troublemakers from Ephesus. They stirred up, it's Pentecost, so it's a pilgrimage festival. People are there from all over the Roman Empire. And these people knew Paul from Asia Minor, from Turkey. And they stirred up the whole crowd, and they seized him shouting, Men of Israel, help us! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides, he's brought Greeks into the temple area and defiled this holy place. Now we read parenthetically, they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple area. So I bet these people were from Ephesus. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut and they were trying to kill him. So while this riot was going on and Paul's getting the bejesus beaten out of him, News reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers, ran down to the crowd, and when the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating on Paul. So where is the beating taking place? Right at the southern steps of the temple. And where are the soldiers stationed? At the Antonia Fortress on the northwest corner off the temple platform. We went through all of this with Jesus being arrested, being brought to the Antonia Fortress, all of it's just repeating here. Same thing's happening to Paul. The commander came up and arrested Paul and ordered him to be bound with two chains. And then he asked who he was and what he had done. What, What in the world have you done to upset these people like this? Some in the crowd shouted one thing, some another. And since the commander couldn't get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken to the barracks. And When Paul reached the steps of the Antonia Fortress, the violence of the mob was so great that he had to be carried overhead by the soldiers. The crowd followed, and they kept shouting, Away with him! Away with him! You can almost hear them about to say, crucify him. Now, as the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, excuse me, may I say something to you? And Paul spoke those words in Greek. The commander replied, you speak Greek? Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt led by 4,000 terrorists out in the desert some time ago? I thought you were Osama bin Laden. Paul said, No, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. So let me speak to the people. Having received the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps of the Antonia Fortress and he motioned to the crowd to be quiet. They all settled down. And he said to them in Aramaic, their native language of Palestine, or Israel of today. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. And when they heard him speaking to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. And Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, that brought up in this city Under Gamaliel, the greatest rabbi of our century, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus, and went there to bring these people as prisoners back to Jerusalem to be punished. I led the persecution against the church. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed all around me. I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice say, "'Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me?' "'Who who, who are you, Lord?' I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth whom you are persecuting. My companions saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I ask? Get up, the Lord said. Go into Damascus; there you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus. I was blind, light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and he said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. And then he said, The God of our fathers, has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying at the temple, I I fell into a trance. I, I saw the Lord speaking. Quick, he said, Leave Jerusalem immediately because they will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, These men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. I supervised that execution. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Well, the crowd listened to Paul until he said this. And then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him! He is not fit to live! And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust in the air, the commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and questioned in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. So as they stretched him out to flog him, stripped butt naked, stretched out to be flogged, Paul said to the centurion standing there, the man in charge, "Uh, excuse me, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? Well, when the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported. What are you going to do, he asked. The man is a Roman citizen. The commander was alarmed, and he went to Paul and he asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. The commander said, I had to pay a big price for my citizenship. I was born a Roman citizen, said Paul. Those who were about to question him withdrew immediately. And the commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. Now we need to pause here for a moment. We think of the Roman Empire and much of what we think of the Roman Empire comes from Hollywood movies. But the Roman Empire brought great benefits to humanity. The Roman Empire ruled for nearly a thousand years. Oh yes, there were rogues and rascals just like there are in our government today. But the Roman Empire brought great benefits. They built 58,000 miles of roads. They unified the entire Mediterranean world. The Roman Empire is not Italy and Rome, it's all the landmass surrounding the Mediterranean. They built a fabulous maritime trade system that rivaled anything on the planet Earth up until our day, up until the airlines. And if you were a Roman citizen, you had rights. You had the right to face your accuser in a court of law. You had a right to an attorney to defend you. You had very similar rights to those rights we have here in the United States. Women had rights. Women who married kept their family name. Women who received an inheritance from their family. It belonged to them, not their husband. Women were free to travel. Women could open businesses and run them? Witness Lydia? No, there were great rights as a Roman citizen. Roman citizens explicitly could not be chained. Remember, just a little bit ago, they chained Paul with two chains? The commander's in big trouble here. And why should they believe Paul that he was a Roman citizen? I've heard many pastors and preachers say because if he were lying, then he'd really be in trouble. No, that's not the answer. He had a passport. There is a document in the papyrus collection at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor that's a citizenship document of a man from this time period about the size of a 3 x 5 index card, proving one's citizenship. Now, Paul would not have traveled all over the Roman Empire without carrying that with him. When we travel, we always carry our passports with us, and they did then, too. So Paul simply said, uh, I'm naked here, but uh, check in my pocket over there. You'll find my document. So now, Paul's status changes from a a suspected terrorist to a Roman citizen. Paul is no longer under arrest. Paul is now in protective custody. That mob tried to kill him. His status has now changed. Paul has asserted his rights as a Roman citizen. And that will change everything. And we'll see how so on Monday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. Oh, I can't wait. And make sure you check out the website. I do want to hear from you. And uh, and really consider being a subscriber. Imagine, 22 university-level courses, 450 lessons, 500 hours of audio for $19.95 a month. I don't know. Since I talked to you about this on Monday, I've had a great many people say, you're giving away the store bill. But, well, we shall see. That's the way it's going to be. I want everyone to be able to do this and price not be a barrier to it. So have a good weekend, a blessed weekend, and I will be back with you again on Monday and we'll pick up with Paul before the Sanhedrin. And we'll find out that there is another plot against him. They're looking to assassinate Paul. Oh, just wait till next week. Okay, gang, thank you. Blessings to you. Have a great weekend, and I'll be back with you on Monday. Bye-bye now.